Welcome to Conversations with Anna Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book. I'm a registered dietitian. Now what? Where I have the absolute joy to sit back and relax and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal stories of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Amy Morel Lursai, a registered dietitian who started off her career in clinical and outpatient care in the Air Force, which I think is very cool. As she worked with more and more patients, she obtained her CDCES and realized she wanted to expand her counseling skills. With a master's in clinical counseling and PhD in dietetics, she now specializes in prediabetes and diabetes education, as well as being a professor. This is a must listen for all dietitians. Please enjoy my conversation with Amy. I um, applied for the uh, Air Force internship in addition to other internships. And again, as you can remember, you had to, you know, rate them first choice, second choice. And I, I put the Air Force internship as my first choice, I think in the back of my head, thinking I would never get it because I had no ROTC or family military. But um, I got the Air Force internship and I commissioned into the United States Air Force in 1996 after I graduated and went to Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland for um, that year and did my dietetic internship. And part of the deal is you then commit to a three-year assignment after the internship. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I didn't even know there was an internship in the Air Force. I had no idea. Yeah, well, there there isn't any more, but it had okay. a very long history. So um, I I don't even know how many years ago they they did they started doing a combined internship with the um, army, and then they started just doing direct um, dietitian commissions, registered wow. dietitian commissions into the air force. But it had a very long standing um, history. Yeah, that's so, crazy. So yeah. so then you became an air force. Air, like I an active duty. Yeah. I was commissioned, you know, as a second lieutenant to do my internship. I did a training in Alabama. And then the internship itself was at um, Andrews Air Force Base in Maryland. But we were kind of all over the place. We um, did some of our higher acuity rotations at Walter Reed Medical Center. Um, we did uh, some rotations with um, NIH interns and another hospital in Maryland. Uh, It was a great, awesome experience. And then I feel very fortunate. My first assignment um, was in California. So I went to Travis Air Force Base in between in Northern California, kind of between San Francisco and Sacramento um, to a large teaching hospital. And uh, that, again, I really thought I was going to be intensive care, uh, nutrition support, dietitian. That was the the path in my head anyway. But first, they put you where they need you. So the way they set up their uh, nutrition department there was um, for you to work in an area for six months and then rotate to another area because they wanted everybody to be very Mm cross-trained. So, um, you know, we kind of heard about this during COVID, right? So outpatient dietitians being, 
you know, pulled in to do inpatient, but they hadn't done inpatient in mm-hmm. years and years and years. So the Air Force always was thinking of these types of things. And we want you at any moment in time to be able to get pulled and put where we need you. So sure. you would switch every six months. So did you like I, that or was that challenging for you? I I did like it because when I had my first outpatient um, assignment at Travis Air Force Base, that is where I really fell in love with outpatient nutrition and specifically diabetes. So had I just kind of stayed um, on the nutrition support track um, in a different capacity, you know, somewhere else, I may not have had that experience. Mm -hmm. And so I was, um, you know, seeing patients with diabetes, all different types of diabetes, one-on-one teaching group classes. So I would have been there for three at Travis Air Force Base for three years. Um, And when I was working in the outpatient center, I really found that I was lacking the psychology and counseling skills. You know, I'm sure you remember as an undergrad, you know, perhaps only taking a couple classes in that area. And so as I was working with um, people one-on-one, I was working with couples, working with families, with young kids. I was like, I am not, I, I love this work, but I really am lacking some key needed skills. Mm-hmm be more in this counseling type of setting because it's, it's not always just about food. <laughs> right. It's just not about nutrition. Not. Right? There's so many other facets. <laughs> yes. And for people living with, you know, a chronic disease, everything comes into play. And I just felt like um, I, I needed something else. So thought at the time was I will finish this three-year assignment and I will get a master's in counseling However, two years into that um, assignment, I was asked to go to Germany. Um, someone had a dietitian stationed in Germany had a um, major family crisis that she needed to move back to the United States for, and they asked me if I wanted to go to Germany. So I was, I don't know, like 24. I was going to say, wow, that's a big like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I was, you know, 24 at the time and like, well, when, when is anybody going to ever ask me and me <laughs> pay for Germany? it? Yeah. <laughs> no. So um, I couldn't believe it, but I said yes. And I didn't, I didn't own a passport. <laughs> I had never been overseas. Um, to back up a little bit, my, the first time I had ever been on an airplane was actually to go to my Air Force training in Alabama. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, I got a passport and I left in the very end of 1999 um, and went to Germany. Wow. So I was stationed at Ramstein Air Force Base, but worked at uh, Launchstuhl Hospital um, and did everything. So I was one of only a couple dietitians there. So on any given day, I was inpatient, I was outpatient, I was in the health and wellness center, I was helping with the Air Force weight management program, I'm inspecting daycares for their nutrition program, 
I did a little bit of everything there. And that's where I also, I had accumulated the hours to become a certified diabetes educator, which is now a certified diabetes care and education specialist. They changed that, the name of that credential a few years ago. Um, But I took my exam over there and um, I, one of my real exciting projects there was, um, working on a pediatric insulin pump team. So we were the first to start kids with type one diabetes on insulin pumps um, in the Air Force or in the military, all of the military in Europe. So families, they would fly families to launch stool to meet with the pediatric endocrinologist. a pediatrician, pediatric nurse, social worker, and myself, and um, one of the pump training companies. And, oh, that was just, you know, just some of my best, best memories of um, as a dietitian. So it was just, you know, really cutting edge at the time. That's where I really became very passionate about interprofessional work and and collaborating on uh, these interprofessional health teams and just felt like we could just accomplish so much when we were all in the same room together versus, oh, I'm going to refer you to this person. And it just feels so siloed. And you're trying to, you know, take time to track down a provider and talk about a case, but there's no time built into the day to do that. And we were just all in one room. But I will tell you, putting you know, families traveling, putting kids on uh, insulin pumps and working with families, again, it was tugging at my heart and soul to um, further my education in counseling because there was so much happening. Oh, I bet. (laughs) Yes. uh, We had, oh, a a young girl, um, she was probably seven and we put her on an insulin pump and and the family was just catching on to everything very well and all the bells and whistles of the pump and the carb counting and all of it and we could not figure out why her blood sugar was dropping so low what is going on we'd have her come in we were all working with the family together and um Lo and behold, the pediatric endocrinologist we were, I was working with was just brilliant. And he figured out that she was opening the pump and manually pushing insulin. Oh. And she was doing this because her parents had told her if she finally got her blood sugars in Target, they would go out for ice cream. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And her blood sugars were, I mean, dangerously low. We were on the brink of taking her off the pump. We're like, we can't figure out what's going on here. She's just not going to be able to be on an insulin pump. So it was just stories like that that I was like, gosh, there's so much happening other than just um, food, you know, and how many carbs are in ice cream. You know, it was just, uh, you know, family units and and how they work together. So, um, yes, yeah, so I still had this poll for uh, counseling. And so I did. I left Germany. That assignment was a two-year assignment. I went back to the D.C. area and worked at Bowling Air Force Base in Washington, D.C. Um, and I had a, a part-time position there where I would go to the Pentagon um, a couple times a month and worked in their fit-to-win clinic. And that's when I applied and started a master's in counseling at Johns Hopkins. 
So I was working full time and uh, working on my master's. It was a lot. Uh, wow, that is a lot. You had a full time right? job, going to yes. get school done. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, and then I decided I really wanted to specialize in diabetes. Now I really wanted to. Um, finish my master's in counseling. And I decided to separate from the Air Force because at the time, really, there weren't that many dietitians in the Air Force. And the Air Force, it's all about then managing other people. So I didn't want to manage other dietitians. I still wanted to be a dietitian. So gotcha. you know, I was like 20, what, 27 at the time, mm-hmm. and just kind of finding my area of specialty. So uh, separated from the Air Force. And that is when I started working um, for a large hospital system, diabetes center, uh, the Innova Health System. And so I was living in Northern Virginia. And um, yeah, so I worked part time there and graduated. And in there, I got married and had a few babies. <laughs> Did the life thing? <laughs> yes, all all in there. Um, I worked for a couple years for um, an insulin pump company or an insulin pen company, um, going around and training different doctor's offices and their patients who are transitioning from violent syringe insulin to insulin pen. And then I got pregnant with my third son and my husband um, was asked to lead a project for his job in Paris, France. So we moved in 2011 um, to Paris and we were there for three years. Oh my gosh, you've had quite the travels. Yeah, so I didn't work as a dietitian in Paris. I was going to um, ask if you did, no. The, the kids, but worked on a lot of expat kinds of um, projects. And I was the French kind of connection liaison for the um, Overseas Dietetic Association. So oh. that now has a n- new name. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there's like a, a piece of the, you know, academy that sure. is, at the time was the Overseas Dietetic Association. And I did a lot of continuing education over there and went to conferences. I went to one in Tel Aviv and one in Belgium. So still stayed connected um, to the nutrition world, but I was not working while I was there. And then um, as we were thinking about coming back, I had I had gone to this really awesome um, continuing ed conference and some great speakers. And I would go back to my room and like, oh, you know, who's this speaker and what are they working on? And, oh, I would love to work on a project like that. And they all, you know, had their PhD in nutrition. And I thought, well, maybe when we'll go back, I'll go back to school again. (laughs) So <laughs> I was like these cool like grant projects and stuff, I guess. I don't know. Is that a they really thing? spoke to oh. you? Yeah. yeah. And I also always love teaching. So I thought, gosh, you know, maybe this is my the next kind of phase of my career. So um, I applied for uh, programs when we were there and um, got a fellowship at NYU. So when we moved back in 2014, I started um, my PhD at NYU and I was an adjunct instructor there. And then um, graduated in 2019. And um, right before I graduated, I got um, my job at Rutgers. So um, I teach uh, nutrition in the graduate program um, at Rutgers. Oh, my gosh. That's so, do you love it? 
Yes, I do because I teach um, counseling. So I teach oh. class for our entry level master's program. So students who are doing combined um, masters plus their internship to sit for the RD exam. And then I also teach a nutrition behavior class for our, ma- our master's in nutrition for students who already are registered dietitians and the DCN, which is the doctor of clinical nutrition. So I'm teaching that course right now. And I love it. Those courses. I think that's amazing that those are courses being offered, you know, because I think when we go back to like our time earlier in life, when it came to being a dietitian, there just wasn't a space for that. Right. And that's how I felt. Like I felt for that first part of my career, just really lacking in um, the the behavior and the Mm -hmm. counseling and the people and uh, those um, skills. And I knew right away that um, I needed more. It wasn't about just going to, you know, having that box of food models and uh, plan and really making the impact that, um, that I wanted to make. Um, I, decided, you know, this is, this is where I want to, I want to specialize. And somewhere in there, I, I really am drawn to motivational interviewing that approach. And so um, I did some specialized training in that and um, have a certificate in motivational interviewing. And so I bring a lot of that to my um, courses, which I love and all the students internships, that's what everybody's doing Mm -hmm. is motivational interviewing. So, um, you know, I really feel like I get them set up well to, um, you know, now they've got to go out there and work with actual real patients, not their fellow classmates. (laughs) (laughs) So I just really enjoy teaching, teaching those courses. And um, well, so to back up a little bit to what else I do in addition to teaching is I have a private practice um, prevention dietitian and I work really specialized with women um, with pre-diabetes. So when I was working at the Inova Diabetes Center, so this was like 2002 to 2008, um, that's right around the time where pre-diabetes, people were getting a diagnosis of pre-diabetes. We were doing, starting to do more screening for it. And so we were getting a lot of people calling the diabetes center. I have pre-diabetes, I'm calling you. But we had nothing set up for people with pre-diabetes. We had our type 2 diabetes, small class through the um American um, Diabetes Association. We had a gestational diabetes program that I ran. We had a type one pump program. We had all kinds of programs, but we did not have anything for pre-diabetes. So, um, and it was like to put them in a class for type two, it just, it's too much information at the wrong time, the mm-hmm. things that were over. Um, so we started just a small um the hospital called it, called it a value-added service. We charged just a really small out-of-pocket fee because there was no insurance coverage at the time for pre-diabetes. And uh, we had one of the um, blood glucose meter companies help us out and give us like a bunch of free meters. And it was a two-part class that uh, we taught. And I really enjoyed working with um this population, it was, you know, for them to kind of find out, uh, you know, my blood sugar is elevated. I'm not quite in the type two diabetes range, but it's, it's higher than normal. Um, and 
you know, truly feeling like, gosh, I want to, I want to turn this around before it's type two diabetes. It was a population I felt um, really drawn to. And as I've um, started working in my private practice, um, because we're screening earlier, um, we're also seeing now women of childbearing age who have prediabetes and now they're getting pregnant. And so it's different than gestational diabetes. And um, so I, I'm working with a few women right now in that category. And um, I, I really enjoy that as well. And I, I think that I feel like it lends very well to your counseling passion and your motivational, because I feel like prediabetes, that's more of what it is. It's not necessarily, it's the nutrition component, but it's also digging into those counseling skills and that motivational interviewing and really realizing what's, what's the big picture. Absolutely. And there's so many, um, People just read, and one with any diagnosis, but with prediabetes, you know, they're just reading so much. Do that, you know, do keto, yes, yes. do this, do that. And they're so overwhelmed and confused of like, what should I do? There are a lot of women, men too, but women, um, you know, everybody thinks prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, it's something that you get when you have overweight or obesity, and that's mm-hmm. just not true. So there are a lot of, um, People out there who are of a normal BMI, if you were to, you know, use that as a marker, yeah, <laughs> um, and they're so confused because they've been fed their whole life that oh, it's people who have overweight or obesity who get um, pre-diabetes or type two diabetes, and um, you know, it's just it's a real. I think, um, fun population to, to work with and to kind of clear up some of these myths that they're reading and then really figure out what, um, they want to do to move forward. Cause there's a lot of options. We really, because prediabetes is, uh, a, a newer in, in terms of nutrition, um, diagnosis, you know, the research is still really young and we don't know exactly like, what, what is the exact way to do this to prevent um, long-term uh, type 2 diabetes? We have the Diabetes Prevention Program outcome study data, and that's not specific to any particular diet. It's not keto. It's not intermittent fasting. It's not this, that, or a real. So I love being able to work with people to make behavior change based on what they want to work on and um, not having to be so prescriptive. I agree. I think I do you kind of feel like as dietitians that we really need to educate ourselves much better about prediabetes because I think it affects so many more people than we realize. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, you are going to see more and more people who have prediabetes and then whatever else you're seeing them for. Mm -hmm. So if you're very focused and specialized, say, in irritable bowel syndrome. But you, you need to know about prediabetes, too. Yes. <laughs> because your patients who are, you know, 35 plus, and sometimes even younger, um, at some point, very well could have prediabetes, because they say now one in three Americans pretty much has prediabetes. Right. So um, it's something, yeah, that all dietitians we need to be educated on. And then on the flip side, you know, I can't just stay totally, you know, 
tunnel vision on prediabetes because a lot of my um, clients have prediabetes and something else. They don't mm-hmm. just have, have prediabetes. And, you know, the diabetes prevention program is great. We're seeing, um, you know, more opportunities for people to go into those programs. And I um, got one up and running when I was at Rutgers pre-COVID in the community health center there. Um, but it's very general. So, and you also have a lot of um peer educators so they can go through like a two-week training and and facilitate a um, kind of peer-to-peer diabetes prevention program which definitely has its benefits but everything's going to have pros and cons and one of the cons to that is those peer educators are not going to be able to address your other health-related issues Mm -hmm. and when somebody with pre, has prediabetes, but then they're like, oh, but I'm hearing this, but I also have this. Now what? Like, I already have irritable bowel syndrome and I already have to avoid all these different foods because of that. But then I have prediabetes and I'm being told to eat. Like, they want someone <laughs> to be able to pull it all together, together. for them. Um, and we also know, too, that it's not just about food for uh, pre-diabetes. So we know activity can make a huge difference. Um, Stress, I work with, um, I just anecdotally, but I feel like I'm seeing more and more um, caretakers. So, you know, women in in their 50s and 60s who are caring for an elderly parent Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden their own care kind of starts to slip and the stress involved with with taking care of a family member um again i i don't i'm not saying there's a link between the two just that stress definitely can play a role and so i just i tend to now a lot of my reading is on like stress management and sleep and all of these other things that affect um, blood sugar and and our hormones. And it's not just about food. There are a lot of people who eat really nutritious diets and, and get prediabetes. And then it's like, okay, you've got the nutrition down, but let's, let's take a look over here. Yeah. Stress and your sleep and your activity level. And um, it's not just about food. And that, that's where I feel like your skills, you know, with your passion with counseling, like it is digging deeper because a lot of people won't, they think they're just coming to you about food. And it's like, well, why aren't you talking to me just about food? It's like, well, because there's a bigger picture. And that's, yes. that's yes. I think, as dietitians, we, you know, if I would have knew, if I would have been paying more attention and I was like you at the earlier part, that missing mm-hmm. link, we need that missing link of those counseling skills that, you know, approaching it differently than just here's the food. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And they are, you know, a lot of the women I work with, they come, they're like perplexed because they, they really feel like they've been making some really great food choice. And they are, they are, they really are. And uh, yeah, we've got to go down those other, other avenues. You've had quite, I mean, like, I love how you have been so proactive throughout your career of just, you know, making things happen. And I love your passion for education. That's amazing. Yes, it's a lot of fun to work with um, uh, new dietitians. And then also, um, Rutgers is great. We, we, I feel like, do a nice job of getting um, in students who are re-careering. So, 
Um, I have students who, you know, have worked in, in areas that have absolutely nothing to do with nutrition and health and um, have found a passion for nutrition. And so when I say, I always have to correct myself, not like younger dietitians, just yeah. newer, newer <laughs> dietitians. Yeah. I like that. So, Re- re-careering. I like that. That's yes. a good term. <laughs> you know, they've had their own maybe personal health issue or have seen a family member have a health issue and, or have a passion, you know, for, for gardening or, you know, something that has mm-hmm. drawn them to um, food and, and nutrition and uh, yeah, said, okay, well, this next half of my life, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to pursue. And we know how it's not easy to become a dietitian. So I'm always like, wow. Um, You know, when I was getting my PhD, I think a lot of people who were first meeting me when I moved here thought I was re-careering or having a midlife crisis. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, no, I'm just continuing. Like I've always been a dietitian. I've always been a nutrition. I'm continuing. My hat really goes off to the men and women who are, you know, having to do this from like really like going back and taking uh, like into biology. Right. You know? <laughs> I just, you know, it's, I always say when people will reach out to me, Oh, I heard you're a dietitian. I want, I'm just like, let me just lay out the path <laughs> for you. So you just know what you're, what you're getting into. into here. <laughs> this is not an easy, easy route. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've had a few of those myself. And I'm like, I do the same thing. I'm like, okay, let me, I'm going to give it to you straight. This is not a glamorous, it's going to be a hard road. (laughs) And it's time and you can't speed, you can't really speed up up the time and you're going to have to do, you know, this internship and you're going to do all this. And then the pay is not amazing. Yeah. Then you're not a millionaire. No, right? (laughs) (laughs) It is true, but it's good to have brutal honesty in that. And if they still are like, yes, I want to do it. Then you know that they really are in the right place. Absolutely. And I feel like there are so many um, ways to go. I mean, just even with me, and being very specialized in diabetes, but there's so many different, um, and I'm sure with you, with you doing all these interviews, there's just so many exciting paths as a dietitian. Um, so thank goodness. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you do something and you're like, you know, when I was at the diabetes center, um, I, I loved it, but you kind of just hit, you hit a point. Um, you know, a lot of these jobs, there's not a, ton of growth opportunity within Mm -hmm. these clinics. Um, And, you know, you stay for several years and then either that's where you want to stay or you're like, huh, I, what's the next thing I can do? And there's always something else to pursue. For sure. And you can create it yourself too, just like prevention dietitian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I do have a few questions for you. Um, just speaking on being in the military as a dietitian, do you recommend it? You know, there's, I guess I'm coming from a place that my dad was actually in the, in the air force and he really wanted me to join the air force. But at that time, when I was 20 years old, 21, I was like, no way Jose. Yeah. So thinking about, you know, in the past, now I wish I would have. So talking mm-hmm. to you, you know, if you're talking to a younger dietitian, what would you say about the military as a dietitian? Would you go for it? Would you, you know, to yeah. kind of think about even like probably your own kids, what would you tell your your younger children about the military? 
Absolutely. So, and also my husband, that's where I met my husband in Germany. So okay. He the um, Air Force as well. And he stayed in maybe like a couple years longer than me. He went to the Air Force Academy. Okay. Um, and so for us, I mean, I absolutely loved every minute of it. I, as a, you know, I graduated when I was 21 for someone who grew up in a small town, had never really gone, you know, taken a few trips up and down the Northeast, but on a plane before it just opened um, so many doors to me meeting so many people. I always say the day that I left uh, Travis Air Force Base in California, I remember walking out into the parking lot and I noticed it before, but I, I really noticed it that day. All the cars there all the license plates, they're all from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you just keep your, you know, you don't have to change when you're in the military, you don't have to like re-register your car and everything. So um, maybe that's changed, but back then. So you just, I just met people from all over the place and um, the, you know, they're just very um, into continuing education. My entire master's, I use my GI Bill. I think it paid wow. for 80% of my master's degree um, at Johns Hopkins. Uh, the friendships that I made, uh, I met my husband in a ski club. Um, oh, in nice. So just like socially. And then also, I mean, I felt very committed to, to my profession and my aspirations but for a lot of young people who um maybe are just needing a little more structure in their life like the military cares about you both in and outside of work and so um I I got to see up close and personal again I didn't need that kind of structure myself but I saw how the structure the mil that the military provided Um, really helped a lot of young people just kind of get themselves together. (laughs) Yeah, which we need at that point in our lives, right? right? (laughs) Somebody cares that you show up to work. (laughs) And somebody really cares what you're doing and what you're not doing in your um, off time. And, you know, they care about your physical fitness and they will chase you down and hunt you down to give you your flu shot. Like, <laughs> you know, your health keep tabs on you. <laughs> like are not like you have to go to your, you know, dental checkup. Um, sure. So all, all of those things. But for me, I, I didn't personally need all that, but the, the social and the exposure and getting, I would have never, when would I have gone overseas? Like I just right. didn't grow up in that, that world that I would have probably gone um, overseas without the, Um, Air Force. Now, I will say I was in the Air Force, you know, I I got out the year after um, 9-11. And a lot of things changed. You know, I had a lot of friends who um, were uh, only one dietitian friend, but other friends who were in other career fields, you know, were um, deployed to all over the place. So deployment mm-hmm. up and, you know, that's something to, you know, definitely consider. That's not something um, I had to do, uh, but that is definitely something to consider. And there's no longer an Air Force dietetic internship, but there is um, still the Army internship. And um, if you ever have anybody, you know, that asks you wants to go in that route to do their training in the military, then it would be the Army internship. But the military still takes direct commission, meaning you're a registered dietitian already, and then you go into the military that route. And they also take civilian 
dietitian. So different health and wellness centers and clinics, military clinics, they will also take civilian, meaning, you know, you're not on active duty, you're working at the clinic like a regular citizen. Yeah, I think that's such a cool area that a lot of us don't get exposure to. So I think it's great to have that conversation. I think that's so cool that you did that. Yeah, it was. I was not expecting it. It was <laughs> like, oh my, you know, it was back when you would get your um, your notification in the mail. There wasn't yes. a system <laughs> that you logged into and everything. And so I remember um, uh, it coming to my dorm. And so there was this little glass mailbox. I could see it in there, but there was nobody working at the front oh, desk. Oh, no. So I had to like wait the next day till, you know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I re- it. That sounds like pure torture. I stayed home from work that day. I was like, I've got to greet the FedEx guy because right. I need to get my letter. <laughs> Right. So, and I really, I think I applied to like UVA, a few other places that I just assumed I would get one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could not believe when I opened it. (laughs) You're like, oh, I guess I'm going to the airport for the next four years. (laughs) Yeah. Thank goodness one of them counted though, is like your internship counted as one of your years. That's nice. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have good friends, a really close friend of mine on stayed in, you know, dietitian friend of mine, you know, the stayed in for the full, I think she stayed in 21, 21 years. Oh, so. wow. Yeah. And I should have her on the podcast. That would yes, be interesting. I can, definitely. Definitely. She'd probably be able to give you a lot more, you know, I was only, I was in for like six and a half years, but yeah, she retired. She deployed, um, not as a dietitian, but, um, she, she cross trained a couple times, always came back to nutrition, but yeah. And now she works for, um, school food, food service in Texas. So, oh, wow. Yeah. You'll have to send me her name. I, I would love to chat with her. <laughs> uh, my next question was if you, I know that a lot of us can't go back to school, um, or, you know, they just don't want to, but if you had to recommend anything that a dietitian could read or you know if there was a class when it comes to like a a quick brush up on like motivational interviewing or counseling that would be beneficial for those already practicing do you have any recommendations yes so I did I mean there's a lot you can do motivational interviewing you know you can go do an hour's you know continuing education credit but Mm -hmm. if you really want to take a deep dive into motivational interviewing um University of Massachusetts um, I can send you a link. It's okay. Yeah. Something else, but they do. So I did this training, um, in spring of 2020. So it started in January and I think I finished up in May. It was fabulous. And it was, they were doing amazing online training before everybody, you know, with COVID was doing online training. Gotcha. And so, um, the, and what's great is I think I was, the only dietitian. So it was oh, wow. <laughs> like community health workers, um, social workers, uh, doctors, all different health professions wanting to, you know, get the skill of, of motivational interviewing. So it's, it's a really advanced um, uh, look at, at motivational interviewing. And you really come out of there, you have to do recorded calls with um, patient actors, they get recorded, oh. they get analyzed, you get feedback. Um, just such a great I, I, I anybody who wants to uh, learn more about motivational interviewing, I always recommend this course. So it's like six months, but you know, it's self you, you self paced, self self paced in that you do have to finish it within um, the time frame 
that it ended that for that particular course that ended in May. And you do have live sessions. So they're live on Zoom. That's awesome. I always like to ask because like you said, there's so many, you know, you can do a CEU here and there and you can do that. But it's nice to, to know someone that, you know, kind of like that's your specialty and what you would recommend. So yes. And then there's people who go on after that to become kind of train the trainer motivational um, interviewers. So they even, you know, talk to you about that. I started to look into it and then just got kind of busy with other things, but um, you, there, there's even a step beyond that. Gotcha. And then my final question, well, according to dietitian and stuff, if you, again, going kind of back to that pre-diabetes, you know, being mm-hmm. something I feel like all of us dietitians need to be more involved in, do you kind of have a recommendation on where to start for those of us that maybe, you know, we know pre-diabetes exists, but, you know, how can we start incorporating that into our practice? Yeah, so all of that, and I actually use the curriculum um, in my class because it's freely available um, via the CDC, so the Diabetes Prevention Program um, curriculum. So at least then you know what's being taught within this, you know, public health widely disseminated um, program. Also, um, and I can send you links to all this stuff, um, keeping up with the Diabetes Prevention Program outcome studies that come out. So that data, you know, that they've been collecting since the 90s, um, you know, keeping up with that. So, you know, there's just a great article I just shared in one of my classes on, you know, the importance of, of physical activity. And so many people think, oh, I've got to lose like this huge amount of weight. And this, you know, decades long data is showing that independent of weight loss, people who get in that 150 minutes of physical activity, even walking, um, uh, delay prevent type 2 diabetes. And so um, that's really exciting to look at. Um, Also, every year, the American Diabetes Association Professional Committee puts out um, basically the clinical practice guidelines, diabetes standards of care. And there is always a section on the prevention of type two diabetes, which gets into pre-diabetes. So, you know, when should people be screened? That was changed this year. Um, You know, they they dropped the age that all people should be um, screened regardless of risk factors. Um, You know, what's the latest on nutrition recommendations? What's the latest on physical activity? What are they saying about metformin? Um, And, you know, that clinical practice guideline also has type 1 and all diabetes, but there's a chapter that's specifically, and that's usually released every year in January. So Good to um, know. You know, and they list, like, if you have a patient that's saying, oh, but my doctor thinks I should be on metformin, you know, there's there's a standard of care for that. And not that physicians aren't putting in their clinical judgment and looking at the whole picture, but there are clinical practice guidelines that are set for um, pre-diabetes care. So good to know. That's awesome. Yep. Awesome. Those would be my go-to. Well, thank you. You'll have to send me links to that. Sucks. I want to include that for our listeners in the show notes because I think that, again, everything that you're doing is so relevant to everyone in practice, I feel. So thank you for sharing all that insight. Yeah, I'll do a follow-up email with those. Thank you. All right. So that was my easy questions. Are you ready for my hard questions? (laughs) I ask this all the time. (laughs) Why don't you share with me some foods that you enjoy? Okay. So 
summertime, summer, summer, summertime, <laughs> I absolutely love ice cream. I really love ice cream. And I don't know if you um, follow Half-Baked Harvest. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just made her squirreled berry layered <gasps> cake. It's, it is, it's so beautiful. It comes together very quickly. It's like raspberry gelato and strawberry ice cream. Oh, it's. Oh my gosh. I have to make just, this. I brought it <laughs> the other night and everybody's just like drooling. Raving. <laughs> it tastes good, but it's like even prettier than it tastes. But um, yeah, ice cream, definitely, definitely this time of year. Any beverages that you enjoy? I always am surrounded by drinks. So Are you? <laughs> Do you have a, surrounded a lot by of glasses? <laughs> if you were sitting next to me in person right now, I always have some type of sparkling water. So I have bubbly passion fruit. I'm always changing flavors. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the end of an iced coffee that I usually have <laughs> in the afternoon and then just a bottle of water. And then I love champagne. Ooh, so, bubbles. Yeah, I don't you like bubbles. I'm at my desk all day, every day. <laughs> I mean, why not? <laughs> I love some Veuve Clico. Oh, yum. Yes. You're definitely a bubble girl, minus the coffee, yes. right? <laughs> right? What about scents or smells that you enjoy? Hmm. I love citrus. You know, like that lemon-lime mm-hmm. um, combination. Yeah. Any herbs, I would say. Yeah. And then... um. For like like flowers, I love I love passing a fresh lilac bush. Oh yes, that's like priceless. But I love stepping in anywhere where it's that lemon lime combination. Did it smell like that in your restaurant when you were little? No. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to praise your mom for just letting you guys right? just go rogue in the kitchen, and I would be having a heart attack. Being and like, I what are you doing? <laughs> because I really don't have that. I come in and yeah. Oh my, I, I have boys. Oh yeah. I mean, they're coming up with something, but I, I mean, my mom did feel like me. She just, she didn't show it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe she was like, I'm just going to let him do it. I'm not yes. going to look. <laughs> uh, what's maybe something about you that a lot of people don't know? Okay, so I have, I've been, I've been more, I've been sharing it more. I have a major, major fear of stepping onto escalators. So it's not so hard for me to go up, but stepping on one to go down, it's not, once I'm on, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. It's, step and so I drive my family absolutely <laughs> when we travel because I'm always looking for the elevator um, I give somebody my suitcase if there's stairs I'm always so oh yes there's on stairs next to the uh, and then I can take the stairs I've been known to travel by myself and have I'm sure people are looking at me like what is wrong with you and I'll <laughs> these bags and I'll be like I'm fine to step on the stairs I guess it's just stepping onto something moving and I don't have a fear of like I I fly all the time I don't know what it is but that is my and I used to try to hide it and now I just tell you're like no this is it I'm over there like walking half a mile to find the Elevator. <laughs> You're right. Airports though are the worst because it's that's right. always the escalator issue. You're and like, I oh hate man, people behind me. So yeah, there's a long lead that's pretty flat, 
and I don't have a lot of people behind me, I can do that. <laughs> but the ones where it's like the minute you step on, it's going down Oof. and not a bunch of people crowded behind. I can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. You're not the only one for sure. So my sister also had that same issue. And we we were kind of super like, come on, Kate. And she's like, I'm coming. Just let me get myself together. <laughs> I just have to take my deep breath. I yes. need to see a few stairs go. Yes. And uh, yeah, but my kids are always, they're they're good to me about it now. So now it's kind of a family joke. They just know. They just know. Yeah, they just know. <laughs> we all, I just tell them we all have a thing. Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> this is my thing. <laughs> And Amy, what brings you joy in life? Uh, anywhere I'm close to water. So um, I love, love, love being um, at the ocean. There's just something about it. I'm being with friends and family too at the ocean, but mm. um, I'll just be by myself, walking. <laughs> but, Quiet. Um, anywhere, bay, beach, lake, there's just something about being near the water that brings me so much peace and joy. I love that. I'm with you on that too. I, it's just, you're right though. It's like an indescribable feeling when you get to that yeah. place and it's like, yeah. Ooh, like it gives you goosebumps. Well, my new thing um, is paddle boarding. So oh, uh, good for you. My new, uh, going to be my new hobby. I find it very both relaxing and being on water. And, you know, if you go with friends, you can be talking. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I like it. You have a good, you have a good, strong core then. You're like trying. (laughs) I'm a little, you know, learning. I need need it to be, I'm a fair weather paddle boarder right now. Not too windy. Um, Yeah. okay. Um, (laughs) I like, I like the stipulations. Why not? Make it the perfect scenario. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing your story so far. I'm sure that there will be much left in your story, but I appreciate all the guidance that you provided today. And I hope that, you know, everyone kind of sees the importance of the wonderful work that you're doing and start doing it in their own lives. Thanks. This was fun. I really enjoyed my conversation with Amy, partly because Amy was in the Air Force, which I'm really jealous of. I kind of wish I would have went that route myself. And I love hearing about those experiences because I don't think they get talked about enough of serving in the military as a dietitian and what a great experience that is. But I also loved our conversation because of her approach with prediabetes. And I think that that's an area of dietetics that we really need to get on board with educating ourselves more about because more and more people have it. More and more people have other comorbidities that are affected by prediabetes. And to be able to educate and help these individuals correct that problem is something that I think we all need to get on board with. So make sure to go. I put some of her resources that she shared with me in the show notes. And I really think that'd be a great place for all of us to start and get educated more. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.